This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Can I say this morning that the cross is the heart of the gospel? Say, wow, that's simple. It is that simple. The cross is the very heart of the gospel, and the gospel is the centerpiece for everything that we do. And as I was thinking about Monday night, and as I've been thinking about the supernatural, as I've been processing through all of these verses and landing on some of these different concepts and ideas, I kept coming back to the same thing. What is different about Acts 2, Acts 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, right up to 28, that is different than our culture today? And I came up with a thought. Are you ready for this one? It's really deep. Are you ready? You're all sitting down. Okay, that's good. Here's how deep it is. The message of the gospel today and the message of the gospel 2,000 years ago are different. And that's the problem. We preach a gospel that appeals to people's happiness. When God's messengers 2,000 years ago preached a gospel that appealed to people's holiness... Big difference. Now, I want to say this this morning just to give context. I believe that there are certain things that the church does today that are very, very wise and very, very good. One of the things that we do is we've learned how to to take the timeless message of truth and actually uh, kind of change the method and how we deliver it so that everyone who has no background of Christianity would understand it. That is good. Because how many know that if we speak in Christianese to someone that doesn't understand Christianese, they're not going to understand anything. And they're going to walk away from there going, uh, everyone looks happy, but I don't know what's going on. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right? The message of the gospel, catch this now, again, really, really simple, but it's foundational. The message of the gospel is repentance. It's not come and get Come to Christ and you get all this awesome stuff. The message of the gospel is repentance. Change your heart. Change your ways. Repentance leads to reformation. And reformation leads to revival. Repentance leads to reformation. And reformation leads to revival. Then hidden inside That repentance and reformation and revival is forgiveness, restoration, healing, freedom, liberty, deliverance, with the ultimate goal being your transformation. Something that's so awesome about a caterpillar becoming a butterfly is that it's total transformation. It's not, you know, an outward appearance change. It's not, it's not... um, you know, let's just adjust a couple of things. It's not a New Year's resolution that usually doesn't last to the January the 2nd. It's not any of that. It is literally total life transformation. When God looks at you, He sees you, and He sees the potential on your life. He sees the, the hope of the future on your life. And when He declares those things, he's not, he's not looking to stir up your life in order to frustrate you. He's looking to stir up your life and shake some things a little bit so that those things that are temporary would fall off, and those things that are eternal would remain. He says, oh God, I don't like the shaking. I don't like it. It's, it's uncomfortable. 
Yes, but there's a supernatural purpose to the shaking of God. Amen? The church was never called to be superficial. It was called to be supernatural. Amen? I want to start with a verse that's been wrecking me all week, and it's so good. 1 John 3.8. Are you ready for this one? It says this, The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Whenever a verse says, you know, Jesus shows up for this purpose, it's always a good kind of thing to kind of pay attention to. It kind of gives away something, right? To be nice to the devil. To make people feel happy. To have his own Twitter account and tweet really inappropriate things. No, it doesn't say any of that. Some days I wish it did, but it doesn't say any of that. It says to destroy the works of the devil. It doesn't say to address the works of the devil. It says to destroy the works of the devil. The Message Bible says the Son of God entered the scene to abolish the devil's ways. I love that. Acts 10.38, another verse that's just been marinating in me this week, is a description from the Apostle Paul to describe the ministry of Jesus Christ. Literally says this, For God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how He went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, or under the power of the devil, because God was with Him. Because God was with him. How many ever feeling when you're at work and you just feel like your traveling buddy Jesus isn't with you that day? Right? Sometimes you just feel like he's not with you. But he wants to go with you everywhere you go. Could you imagine where you have a moment sitting at school or sitting in your, your lunchroom at work and, and you're hearing a conversation. In the midst of the conversation, God drops an insight about someone's life right in the midst of it and you speak it out and you see tears start coming down their cheeks, and they go, how in the world would you know that? I've lost count how many times that's happened. You know why? Because I go into situations, I go, okay, God, you know, we're, you and me, it's me and you, you and me, you and me, and all other people. Oh, sorry, that's the wrong song, Lord. Okay, and, and you come back to the same thing. God, what do we get to do today? What do we get to do today to mess with the enemy's camp? And I tell you, when I get up in the morning, depending on the day, most days it's like, Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do today? If we give people a gospel void of the power of God, we are literally preaching a gospel that will not transform people's lives. So then we fall into the trap of becoming the church called the behavior police. You should change that. And you should change that. And you should ch That's not good. It's not good that you act like that. We're supposed to be holy. And you know what I, I've understood? When God transforms your heart, I don't have to be holy. I get to be holy, and I want to be holy, and I want to make choices that are in alignment with God's will and plan. I don't wake up and go, oh, God, you're asking me to not do that too? Like, come on. But Lord, I've always wondered, whenever we give a but Lord or a but God, what is he doing up there? Can you just picture his face up there going... 
I'm thinking to myself, that's probably what he's doing. Or he's up there going, talk to the hand, or he's sending the angels down to say, can you give him a little attitude adjustment? Help him out. Help him to understand that that's not how that works. Something is different. We cannot give them a gospel that is void of the power of God. We cannot give them a gospel that is void of the message of repentance. We cannot do it. Because if we do, guess what we're setting them up for? We're setting them up to be as religious as the Pharisees were. And we're saying, your life is about behavior modification rather than life transformation. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to make a really, really easy statement today. You know what? I know what my problems are. I know where I've got issues. I know where I struggle. Most of you probably know too. Your, your own, of course. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> okay. All right. Woohoo. All right. You probably know your own. You probably know mine. And Sandra is perfect. Thank you. All right. That was good. All right. I redeemed myself. That's awesome. But I want you to have a picture and a heart for the supernatural this morning. I want to read you the definition of the supernatural. It says this, something that exists above and beyond the natural realm. Well, that makes sense. That's why it's super. Right? I'm deep today, aren't I? That's awesome. Wow. Hold on. Whoa, God, that was good. Never saw it like that before. Okay, all right. It is God's divine nature and power bringing heaven to invade earth. Chair two people from a couple weeks ago are the people that can bring people to heaven. Chair three people are people that can get heaven into people. Big difference. So, what was the book of Acts like? Well, what was the church like in the book of Acts? What was the New Testament church like? What did they do? Well, there was 12 things that I noticed about supernatural impartation of God in the Acts 2 church. And I'm just going to read them off to you because they're so good. In Acts chapter 1, there was a, spirit, a supernatural hunger. There was a hunger for the supernatural. There was a hunger for more of God. There was a hunger so much so that they waited in te- for 10 straight days in an upper room doing nothing but fasting and praying. I'm sure their bosses weren't too impressed. But they were up there for 10 days. Why? Because God said, go wait up there until the Spirit of God shows up. How do I know when He comes? You'll know. <laughs> well, we don't know what to know. He says, oh, trust me, He'll be obvious. So, you know, do we look for like something like, you know how you walked on water, Jesus? Is, is He going to just kind of walk in? And is that what He going to do? No, it's not going to be like that. Well, is there any experience we've ever had that looked like that? Nope, nope, nope. No, nothing like that before. So you just want us to wait for 10 days in the upper room and trust you. Pretty much. Okay, I got it. So there was a supernatural hunger. If you read in Acts chapter 1, there was a supernatural mindset. Something shifted. Something shifted in the way that they viewed the situation. It was no longer, Jesus, we need you to be the king, the Messiah, the ruler to take over the Romans. It was now, God, we need life transformation. Hello. Something shifted. Third one is this. In Acts chapter 1, there was a supernatural prayer that happened. 
You know how you always tell when a church is ready for prayer? I mean, so for, for God to move in the supernatural, just go look at the prayer room. Right? That was my plug for pre-service prayer and for Monday night prayer. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you want to see things happen? You know, what, you know what supernaturally shifted in our church in January? We had about 30 to 35 people every night in that room back there, Wednesday night after Wednesday night in the whole month of January, and we saw things happen. Why? Because we called on the name of God. And we did it with passion. And we saw some powerful and incredible things coming out of that. Acts chapter 2, we saw supernatural outpouring. Why? Because they had a hunger, a mindset, and a prayer for it. That's why they saw the outpouring. They also saw supernatural progress. 3,000 people came to Christ in one day. That's pretty good uh, mathematics. I don't know about you. There was supernatural boldness. They looked at Peter and they said, Who in the world have you been with? Uh, he's my traveling buddy. His name's Jesus. Comes with me everywhere I go. It's awesome. Acts chapter 3, there was a supernatural faith that led to a supernatural healing that saw the supernatural power of God overwhelm the natural realm and bring something super into the natural. In Acts chapter 4, there was supernatural preaching. There was supernatural favor. And as a result, there was supernatural provision. How many want all 12 of those? <laughs> Amen? Where does it start? Desire. The group of students that were, and young adults that were there on Monday night came in with one idea. God, we want you tonight. God, we're going to seek you tonight. We're going we're gonna to press through tonight. God, we want to experience your presence tonight. And it was awesome. <laughs> I felt like a kid. I felt like a kid literally coming home that night. I'm like, <laughs> it was awesome. Just like Tigger bouncing around. It was awesome. Why? Because I saw something completely different. I saw a whole other level of supernatural faith. I saw a whole other level of supernatural desire. And guess what happened? God came through every single time. He will not disappoint you. When your desire is for more, he'll not disappoint you. You know what the problem is in most churches? And I'm not necessarily addressing our church. I'm addressing the churches at large. Every church in the world. The problem is, is we get exactly where our faith is lined up for. Most of us, Hope for that stuff to happen, but don't have faith for that stuff to happen. We hope it happens. But God is saying we have to shift and have supernatural faith for God to move in that kind of way. How many know that our world is becoming more and more humanistic and more and more intellectual focused? And so as a result of that, what we've got is we've got a whole bunch of people that, that have a belief system or a lack of belief system in God that is completely dictated by culture. Can I say this morning, I'm all for apologetics. I believe in it. I think we need to be well-versed. I think we need to know our word. I think we need to understand those things that people are going to argue against us. But do you know what the disciples did? They stood up and they preached boldly the gospel of repentance. And it says in Acts chapter 3, they preached the gospel of repentance. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Times of refreshing came. They all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people came to Christ that day. Whoa. And then in Acts chapter 4, the Pharisees looked at them and said, um, what exactly happened with those guys? Because they are untrained and uneducated men. They don't know nothing. God says, I use what the world considers to be foolish 
for great things. Because when his super comes on your natural, it doesn't matter what happens. Everything changes. I think we're just chalking here. I'm feeling a little something, something here. I like row three. Oh, come on, Jesus. Oh, this is good. 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It is living by God's power. The Message Bible says God's way is not a matter of mere talk. It's an empowered life. That's what God's calling us to. We believe at Impact Church in the supernatural power of God. So if you've maybe never heard of this before, I just want to make it abundantly clear so there's no room for misunderstanding. We believe in the supernatural divine intervention of God in this church. I can see it in your eyes. There's different songs going off in the heavenlies right now, and I can just tell it in your eyes. I can see it in your eyes. Some of you are like, yeah, come on now. And the other people are like, I think this guy had honey nut Cheerios this morning. He's had too much sugar this morning. It's not good. I just want to let everyone know that my sugar intake this morning was minimal. So this must be God. All right. The first step, the first step to seeing a supernatural church is a word that Sandra used last night with the vision meeting for worship, the worship team, and it's simply this word, deeper. How many know that in the natural, we look at different levels of water and we determine our safety or our sense of security by how deep it is? If you can walk in it, we're good. <laughs> you know? If it's over your head, as long as you're within about five feet of touching the ground, we're good. Because, you know, I can tread water for five feet and get back. I'm good with that. What happens if you're in 172 feet of deep of water and you've got no one around you? You better hope your water wings hold up. Because if not, it's going to be quite the ride. So here's what I want to say this morning. The call to deeper life, the call to a deeper, deeper faith, the call to a deeper belief system in the supernatural is going to take risk. It's going to take a sense of we're letting go of our own security systems in order to hold on to what God has. So let's just be honest and call it what it is this morning. I'm not going to make it sound more grand than it is or easier than it is. It's not easy. It's, it's about getting out of our comfort zone, Right? And so the only thing that you have to determine this morning is where have you determined your comfort zone to be? And maybe we got to go beyond that this morning. Leonard Ravenhill, who wrote probably one of the greatest books on revival in the world. The book is called Why, uh, Why Revival Tarries. It's from years and years ago, but I highly recommend it. He said this, Gethsemane is where he, Jesus died. The cross is only the evidence. When you want to go deeper, there's a death process. There's death to comfort. There's death to our own desires, our own will, our own plans, our own purpose, our own process. There's a death to something. Repentance is about death to yourself. Water baptism is about death to yourself. Transformation and the call for the high call of God in Christ Jesus is about death to yourself. Not physical death but death to those things that are in us 
that are not in alignment with God's heart and God's plan for our lives. So that could be something as simple as it's a sin issue. It could be something that is biblically sinful. It could be something that's about an attitude in our heart. It could be something about uh, uh, not wanting to follow God's will or plan in a particular area of our lives because we want to do our own thing. Amen? Matthew 10, verse 39, it says this, He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Can I say this morning that deeper cannot be a worship night that happens every three months at Impact Church. Deeper has to be a daily desire of your heart every single day of your life. Every single day. Lord, I want to go deeper, Lord. I don't want to just be satisfied with what I've done or where I've been or what I've been through. I want more of you. I want to understand your heart Deeper today. I want to understand your ways, Lord. Deeper today. It's got to go beyond what we've seen before. Max Lucado, I love this quote. He's talking about, again, the Garden of Gethsemane and and the connection to Eden and, and really about human life in so many ways. He says this, The Bible is the story of two gardens, Eden and Gethsemane. In the first, Adam took a fall. In the second, Jesus took a stand. In the first, God sought Adam. In the second, Jesus sought God. In Eden, Adam hid from God. In Gethsemane, Jesus emerged from the tomb. In Eden, Satan led Adam to a tree that led to his death. From Gethsemane, Jesus went to a tree that led to our life. That life, that resurrection life, is what God is calling us to. The second step to a supernatural church is what I'm calling declaration. Declaration, the word literally means to make known, to be clear, to be evident. To state emphatically to announce. One of the things that totally separated the disciples, they they went deeper, but then they started to boldly declare the very things of God. They didn't water it down. They didn't wash it down. They didn't give a humanistic version of the gospel. They gave the hardcore, fundamental facts of the gospel. Repent. That's a great, happy word, right? Whenever we wear the word repent, it just makes us feel warm and fuzzy inside, right? It's just something that we want to just go and, and do calligraphy with. It's just, you know, it's so exciting. And, and then we want to do a scrapbook page just, just for the word repent because it just sounds so happy. And then what we do is we start our own Facebook page called Repent Now or Go to Hell. And it's just such an encouraging thing. And that's, and that's what we just believe for, right? It's just such an encouraging word. Positive, encouraging Caleb. But it's all good, you know, and that's what God wants from us. I have a question for us this morning, and I, and I don't just feel this for our church, but I feel this for the church at large. Are the things that you're living for worth Christ dying for? Are the things you're living for worth Christ dying for? For the disciples it was. They laid everything down. Because they knew, they knew the death of Christ very personally because they had just witnessed it. Maybe not physically, but they heard all the stories. They saw the beating. They saw him on the road. They didn't see the death. Only John did. But they understood the death of what Roman soldiers did to people back then. So even though they may not have physically seen Jesus die, I'm sure they have seen the Roman crucifixion a hundred times over, if not a thousand times over. So they understood what happened. Acts chapter 20, verse 27, it says this. Paul speaking, it says, For I never shrank back or kept back or fell short from declaring to you the whole purpose and plan 
and counsel of God. He did not hold back from declaring the whole gospel. The gospel is awesome. It's good news. How many like good news? But the gospel always demands a response. Why? Because God's an initiator. If someone initiates something, you have to respond. If you don't respond, what does that tell you? How many have ever had someone that doesn't Facebook message you back, that doesn't respond to your text, doesn't respond to your email, doesn't respond to your phone calls, doesn't respond to blah, 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 fill in the blank? How does it make you feel? First time, no big deal. Second time, sort of no big deal. Third time, you're thinking to yourself, is there something that I have done wrong? By the fourth time, you've already talked to them and you've already asked them, you know, is everything okay between us? Oh, yeah, everything's fine, right? <laughs> you, know, you know how it is. By the fifth time, you've already put on the Roman soldiers' ar- 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 you know, armor. You're ready to go. By the sixth time, you're just hoping that you never run into them. And by the seventh time, it could involve something absolutely crazy. Why? Because there's something about that disconnect. When someone initiates and someone doesn't respond, there's something in our hearts that's disconnected. Something isn't putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Something bothers us. You have to understand this morning, when we preach the whole gospel, there's a connection point that happens with God. When we preach a gospel that he never declared, God cannot partner with it. He still loves you, but he cannot partner with something that is not his gospel. Okay? So we need to find out what is the message of God, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we need to declare it over and over and over again. Mark 16, 20, it says, And they went out, the disciples, preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. I love that. They went preaching, what? The gospel, what? The whole gospel. And what happened? Jesus was working with them and confirming the word through what? The accompanying signs. Jesus was working with them. Partnership. Because they declared the message of Christ. Confirming the word. Backing up establishing, proving valid the Word of God with His supernatural signs and wonders. I've often landed on this thought, and it's something that, that hits close to Sandra and I, especially because Sandra was born on the mission field. Um, she's been to 37 countries by the time she was 20 years of age in missions. She understands Asia, Africa, you know, Eastern Europe, all these different places that she's been to. She understands what's going on there. She understands what's going on in the 1040 window, which is in lower Asia. She understands the whole, even the Muslim culture from that perspective. And you know what we keep coming back to? What is different about the third world countries and first world countries like Canada and the United States and others? The first world countries are trying to uh, clothe the gospel and hide it in a whole bunch of really, really creative jargon that is there to appeal to someone's emotions or senses or, or even intellect, but it lacks the substance of the gospel. In third world countries, they don't have anything but the gospel, so they declare from day one, you got to repent. What does that mean? Repent, turn 180 degrees, and go the other direction from your sin. And they go, and what will happen? It doesn't matter what will happen. Repent. 
And we go, um, can you give me the book on that? And just, you know, can, can you play that out for me? Just tell me how, what's going to happen tomorrow, and then what's going to happen a year from now, and, and you know, what's going to be required of me five years from now, and how's that all going to work out, because I'm a long-term planner. God starts with step one, and he says, repent. And we go, either yes or no. If we go yes, the supernatural becomes possible. If we go no, guess what happens? Frustration. Not right away, but over time it leads to frustration. It leads to a sense of disconnect. It leads to a sense of lack of purpose, lack of hope. Every single person that I ever met at the John Howard Society when I was a social worker there, almost every single one of them sitting across the desk from me, all I kept hearing was a lack of hope. A lack of future, a lack of purpose. My past defining my future, my past defining my future. And you know what I kept coming back to? And I shared this on Susan and I Connect Group. Come up with every creative way to declare the gospel truth without saying that it's the Bible. Well, you know, there's an ancient proverb that one said. Um, I would do it all the time. You know, the biggest breakthrough I ever had, John Howard, was when I actually taught my clients on forgiveness. I know what unforgiveness does to your soul. I used every Bible verse there was, and I Cameronized it. <laughs> so that they would understand there's something so deep here. The gospel message declared in its truest, purest form always brings supernatural results. Always. Always. I remember of a story. Um, there's a, a guy at OCC, young adult, knew some people in the church. Uh, he was about 19, 20 at the time. And uh, OCC used to have these uh, New Year's Eve services that start at 10 o'clock at night, New Year's Eve. It would go to 1 in the morning. And it was awesome because we'd stop at 12 o'clock and let loose on the most incredible praise song we had in our back pocket. And we went ballistic at 12 o'clock. It was awesome. This guy was a multiple drug user of multiple drugs, struggled with alcohol. This guy was literally just wallowing in self-pity, and the only thing he kept turning to was the worst friends in the world that kept feeding the very thing that was the worst thing for him, which was the drugs and alcohol culture. Now, you have to understand, back in the, in the early 2000s, the big thing back then was the rave culture. So it was ecstasy. Ecstasy was not good. I don't know about you, but ecstasy was not good. And so that was the culture that he was absolutely enveloped in. And some, one of his friends knew another friend, and they basically said to him, listen, I used to be in that culture. He just happened to go to OCC. I used to be in that culture, and trust me, there's no high like what I'm getting now. And he's like, what? He says, there's no high like what I'm getting now. And he's like, what are you doing? He says, I'm downtown Oshawa. You at the meth clinic? But <laughs> no, it's a block and a half over from the meth clinic. It's called Oshawa Community Church. He says, you go to church? I went, yeah. He says, you found God? I went, no, he found me. He found me one night as I was absolutely, like, just crazy gone in some sort of ecstasy moment. He says, God found me. So this guy shows up at church, not knowing anything and not knowing what to expect. And he sees that back at OCC, everyone for worship would literally come up to the front. We'd have, like, 80% of the church all up at the front and just having fun. And he would come to, he literally would come to the front row and he would stand 
And he would just watch. And he'd watch. And he's looking around, and he's watching everybody. And then he does this. And honestly, we were on stage that night. Sandra and I saw the whole thing. Because we were on stage. I was singing. Sandra was playing piano. And I'm watching this guy. And I knew before the service who he was and why he came. He was a friend of ours. Or a friend of the friend of ours. And we're watching him. And there's this one moment where you can see the supernatural presence of God hit him. That guy goes from hands up in the air to down on his face in four and a half seconds. And he's crying out to Jesus. Screaming out to Jesus. You could hear him over the band and the worship. Crying out to Jesus. Then he gets back up and he starts bouncing around like Tigger all over the place. He's just bouncing around. That side, he's bouncing back and he's bouncing back. And Pastor Frank's looking at him going, I think we got a good testimony tonight, fellas. This is good. Woohoo! So he goes, hey, you, you over there, come on up here. He goes, how are you doing? You guys remember him. What's your name? Kyle. What did you do last night? I was at a rave. <laughs> how long were you at the rave for? Well, it was about four in the morning, man. It was awesome. What are you experiencing right now? And he wept. He said, nothing that I've experienced before in my life. It's so pure. It's so real. It's not like what I did last night. It's not like what I've done for the last four years. It is real. Sometimes we have a, a church culture that says, well, you know, we just have to be careful you know, to make all of the guests feel welcome so they don't get freaked out. Can I say to that this morning? People are freaked out when something is not genuine. That's just dumb. Weird is just dumb. But the real, authentic, supernatural touch of God will transform every single person that walks through those doors and into this room. Every single kid that walks into those doors down that hallway or into that back classroom the supernatural presence of God has the ability to transform a heart, a soul, a mind, an emotion, everything. In one second in the presence of God. Could not compare to four years of raves and ecstasy for this guy, Kyle. Something changed. Oh, I'm getting excited. Luke 4.18. Jesus stands up for his first ever message. He gives it all away. He didn't hide anything. It says, yeah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You can read it just like yourself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Cameron Jeffs. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The poor. Hmm. He didn't stop there. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. How many know a brokenhearted friend? How many know a brokenhearted coworker? Brokenhearted student? We all know them. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's our calling card. How many know that it's going to take the supernatural power of God to do that? We can't come up with that. 
We can't wave some magic wand and woohoo, you know, bippity boppity boo. Yeah, we can't do that. It's got to be the supernatural presence of God. The full gospel being proclaimed and declared from our mouths will see supernatural signs and wonders following. I can say this this morning. I've seen people that preach loud and I've seen people preach with authority. And there's a big difference. Now, I apologize this morning. I get a little excited. I can't help myself. I'm like a child. Anyone who knows me long enough to know that is absolutely true. Um, but I'm excited because I know that a supernatural church can change a supernatural, uh, it can change any natural world in any given moment because it's supernatural. Matthew 4.23, I love this. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. That's our calling card. Matthew 9.35, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's our calling card. Matthew 11.4-5, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's a good day. That's a good day. The supernatural is about the rule and the reign of God invading natural earth. That's what it's about. The third thing is this. I'm going to read a quote by Leonard Ravenhill. It says this. The world is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. It is waiting for a new demonstration of Christianity. The word demonstration is only ever used once in the New Testament. It's only used once. And here it is. 1 Corinthians 2, 4-5. It says, in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith would not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That word demonstration literally means to show forth, to make manifest, to give proof of. The demonstration of the Spirit of God. Can I say this morning, and I just want to give a bit of context to this. Whenever we hear the word demonstration, we hear the word supernatural, we hear signs and wonders, we hear healings, what we all do is we've automatically in our minds, without me even having to check with you or ask you, I can do this with everyone this morning, but I won't for the sake of time. Every single one of you have just created a list in your mind of a list on this side saying, yeah, these are the supernatural things that I'm comfortable with. And on this side, you've got a list in your mind saying, these are the supernatural things that I'm not comfortable with. And Lord, as long as you stay in this camp, I'm good, and we're good, and you can still be my traveling buddy. And God is literally saying, when you preach the gospel, the, the unhindered, pure gospel, then the supernatural will happen. And we have to take off the lid or the limitation that we would place upon what God can do in any given situation. Amen? How many know that God sometimes likes to inconvenience us? How many know that the power and presence of God likes to inconvenience us sometimes? Sometimes we say, God, I was not ready at the lunchroom today. I was not ready. Like, if you can give me a little bit of a warning, if you can give me a little bit of a warning and, and, and kind of, you know, write it in my journal book this morning before I go to work, then I would feel a little bit more comfortable about what you're preparing me for. Can I say this morning 
part of the, um, the adventure of being a Christian is that when we wake up in the morning and we're partnering with God, who is a supernatural God, then every conversation we are in has the potential for a supernatural result. Every conversation. I won't say who, but there was a person I used to work with at John Howard where I prayed for that every day. I'm like, Lord Jesus. Sick him, Lord Jesus. Right? Right in the middle of the lunchroom, Lord. Let's just do it. Lord, I'm so ready. Of course, you know, then we got to just kind of align ourselves with what he's doing. But you know what happened? I had a conversation about three months before I left John Howard that I had been praying and believing God for for eight years with one of my coworkers. And we worked in the Whitby office. And I sat there over the lunch break. No one was in the, in the building at the time. We were just the two of us. And she looked at me and she just said, tell me what you got. They used to hand out these mugs. Our students that we used to work with used to hand out mugs for all of the workers at John Howard. And they would go to that store where you could buy like the, the emojis on the mugs or the facial expressions on the mugs. And mine was a blue cup with this big giant smile on the front of it. Because that's how they thought of me. I was just happy and full of joy and excited. And She looked at me that day and says, what do you have that's different? And you know what I did? I didn't go into this whole long diatribe about, you know, all of these different things or all these experiences I had. I looked at them and I said, you know what? At every moment in our life, we're confronted with the reality of our eternity. Ten out of ten people die. I'm just going to let that one sink in there. So. <laughs> ten out of ten people die. And I just said, you know what brings me great joy? Is that I'm ready for eternity. Are you? And they went, no, I'm not. And in our office, in a little tiny office in, in Whitby, I led her to Christ that day. Not because I had these eloquent words, not because I had a rehearsed, uh, uh, you know, a rehearsed, you know, essay that I had written in my old dissertation for my master's in theology. No, none of that. You know what I rehearsed? The gospel. Jesus came, the Son of God, died on a cross, took the punishment of the world and the sins of the world upon him so that he could be the go-between so that you could have relationship with his father. The father wants to have relationship with you. That's what it's all about. In the first garden, he walked in the cool of day with humanity. In the second garden, the garden of Gethsemane, there was a death process that led to the ability for humanity to walk in the cool of day with God again. It's about Jesus, the gospel, the cross, the resurrection. Is that it? That's it. Nothing else. 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it says, For our gospel did not come by you, or to you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Acts chapter 1.8 gives away the source of this power. He says, But you shall receive power, the word dunamis. It's literally the English word that we get dynamite from. So you will receive the dynamite power of God when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you should be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the world. The Holy Spirit doesn't come upon us so that we can be holy rollers. 
The Holy Spirit comes upon us to be witnesses. To proclaim the Word of God boldly in every situation and every circumstance under the power of the Holy Spirit so that when we speak, it's not us speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit speaking. How many of you have ever been in a conversation where you get to the end of it and you go, I don't think I just said one word. <laughs> there was not one word of me in that, but there was a whole bunch of Holy Spirit there because I don't even remember what I said. I've had people come back to me years later and go, you remember what you said to me that day? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't. He says, you have problems? No, no, I don't have problems. No, that's good. He says, this is what you said. He says, this is what you said. I'm like, I don't even remember that. God loves you. Acts 14.3, it says, And the Lord proved their message, proved the declaration of the gospel, was true by giving them the power to do miraculous signs and wonders. We live in a culture, the Western culture, that tries to understand everything intellectually. But the power of the Holy Spirit is going to absolutely knock that barrier down. Amen? Do you believe that this morning? It's God's super on our natural. I want to end with uh, one verse, and, and I'm just going to ask Sandra to come. She's just going to share a little insight that she had into this verse, and then we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for Zoe, too, if you don't mind, before we end the service. John 14, 12, and it says this, And I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. How many have ever read that verse and go, how is that possible for us as the church to do greater things than Jesus? How many have ever thought that? Okay, I have. Well, if you were in my 201 class on Wednesday, this is a repeat. <clears throat> but uh, I was really praying about, God, how can we do greater things? If you raise the dead, you heal the sick, you touch the untouchable, you love the unlovable, and you had compassion like no one else, <clears throat> then how can we do greater than that? What is the greater? And I felt like God spoke so clearly and just said the greater is the fact that when, when Jesus walked the earth, he was limited in time and space. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. That's why the crowds followed him. And then when he tried to slip away and avoid the crowd, somehow they found, they found him there because they were so desperate for a touch of God. They were so desperate for the presence of God. And in the Old Testament, the presence of God was limited to the temple. That's why you actually had to go to the temple, go through the whole sacrificial routine to even get close to the presence of God, and still you couldn't get in it. So when Jesus came, he carried the presence of God, and people would follow him everywhere. And what I felt God was saying is that the, the greater is the fact that we are each and every one of us now carriers of the presence of God. The Bible says that now we are the temple. We don't go to the temple. We don't go to church. We are the church. And so we now, just like Jesus, we have thousands and thousands and thousands and actually millions of people around the world that are just like Jesus. We get to live like Jesus and love like Jesus because we have the same power that rose him from the dead. The same power that was in operation in his life is now in each and every one of our lives. So what is the greater? It's the fact that it's you and I in our workplace, in our school, in our surroundings. We walk around and we are Jesus incarnate in that sense. We are, we live like Jesus and we love like Jesus. So the greater works is the fact that he's not limited anymore by time and space. Now there's millions of Christians around the world. Christian simply means Christian, little Christ follower, little anointed ones. And so that's the greater that each and every one of us get to be the power.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.